I'm going to continue on in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, 11 to 13. This will be our last sermon in 1 Thessalonians for the year, meaning 2020. Because then we're going to start looking at the birth of Christ narrative specifically from Luke. And then by the new year, we'll get back into 1 Thessalonians. But here in chapter 3, um, I, was think it's, I was thinking about road signs, believe it or not. Road signs. Okay, so if you see, we're going to keep it, we'll, we'll, we'll make it very easy, the test, okay? If you see a red octagon that has the letters S-T-O-P, <laughs> I think, you know, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to stop, right? That's what you're supposed to do before you go. That's a pretty common road sign. Um, if you see a circular road sign with an X down the middle and two letters R, R. What are you supposed to do? Um, recognize that there is a railroad coming up. So be cautious, right? If you see an upside down triangle with the letters Y, I, E, L, D. What are you supposed to do? Nothing if you're in New England, right? Okay, because yield signs don't make any difference here. Uh, but you're supposed to officially slow down and allow the oncoming traffic. But I will tell you, be careful with yield signs if you're driving around New England, right? But one particular road sign that we're probably all familiar with is one that says men at work. Men at work. And what that means is basically there's some construction happening ahead. So be cautious and be careful. People, live people are out there working. Men and women. They still leave it as men at work, but it's really men and women. And what I'm thinking about when I look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 is God at work. God at work. Wouldn't it be cool if we had a sign that said, God at work on our church. Um, that's what we want to see happen in our church family. Yes, we want to serve one another. Yes, we want to care about each other. Yes, we want to meet physical needs. All those are, are essential. But are we seeing God at work, supernaturally working in our church? That's the real test, right? Uh, is it something that could be done at any social organization? Or is what's happening in your church truly God done? <laughs> if I can make up a, a, my own little phrase. What does that look like? Well, you might think, well, that looks like healings. Y yes, I, I hope so. We pray so, obviously. We just did, and we're going to continue to pray that God at work would mean healing those who are sick. God never heals every sick person. We all eventually pass away. But God does heal, and he heals today still. So, yes. Um, does it look like conversions? Definitely. I hope that God at work uh, means that people are coming to know the Lord Jesus for the first time. That would be a glorious way in which God is at work. Does it look like revival? Revival. I definitely pray that's the case. And maybe 2020 will be the preface to a revival. What's a revival? It's when there is a spread of the gospel and a transformation of lives that goes beyond. I mean, it goes into a larger area. It's not just what God's doing in one life or one local church, but in a greater area. It's as if God's at work. Is that, is that God at work? Yes, it is. But here in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, um, Paul gives a benediction. 
benediction just means to speak well of, but usually it means a blessing. You're asking God to bless a certain thing, a certain church, certain people. We end every service pretty much with a benediction, right? We ask for the blessing of God upon our church family. Um, and in this benediction, he talks about God at work, but he, his description of God at work looks a little more normal than the stuff we just mentioned. All that stuff is great, but it looks even more normal than that. And yet equally miraculous. And equally God done. Look with me we'll, at First Thessalonians chapter 3. We're going to keep it short here, 11 to 13. Just this one uh, small paragraph, three verses. And um, we will have that listed in the comment section if you don't have a Bible with you. So you can read along there as well. But in chapter 3 of 1 Thessalonians, we come to this section. Now, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. That's the word of the Lord for us this morning. Um, there is an outline and the, the points will go up as we go through this here. Uh, but what is, what are we asking, uh, what is Paul asking there to, for God to do? And how much can we echo that same prayer that God would be at work in us today? In verse 11, he prays, uh, and, and it is our prayer today too, that may God be at work bringing us all back together. May God be at work bringing us all back together. Uh, Paul, as I said, gives a benediction. This is the turning point of his letter. Uh, this verse begins by looking back at everything he said up to this point, all that sort of introductory material, talking about um, his relationship with the Thessalonians. And then it goes to talk about what the rest of the letter is going to deal with, the need to increase in love and the hope of eternal life and uh, God preserving us in holiness. So this is really the turning point, the center of his letter. Uh, Paul is very careful and cautious in the way he's writing and what he's trying to address as the Holy Spirit oversees his writing. Um, but here in this section, we see that turning point, and it's a prayer. Uh, may our God and Father. He's asking God for something. He's asking God to work. This is not a request for the Thessalonians to do anything. This is a request that God would be at work doing something. Um, and by the way, just as a little sidebar, uh, make requests to God. I've heard people say things like, I feel bad asking God for stuff. Don't feel bad asking God for stuff. God wants us to ask God for things. In fact, all over the Bible, people are asking God for things. Just got to trust that God will give what he knows is best for us. But you can absolutely ask God for things and should do so continually. And he calls God here the Father, our God and Father. So clear reference to the eternal creator, Father, who speaks the world into existence. Um, and then uh, he adds, and our Lord Jesus. To God our Father, our God and Father, and our Lord Jesus. Notice that he puts Jesus on the same level as the Father. In fact, there's one verb in this first sentence here, the word direct, and the subject of that verb is both the Father and Jesus. 
That's how equated he sees the Father and Jesus. So just uh, don't miss things like that where you see Jesus lifted up to the same place as the Father. God, the Father, and Jesus direct our way. And that's the prayer first right and foremost here, that he would direct our way to you. Um, Paul and his team started this church in Thessalonica, loves these Thessalonian Christians. They're suffering, they're doing, they're having a hard time and all that, but they're being faithful. And here he's saying, may God direct our way to you, that we could be together again. And we've seen this already in the letter. He desperately, he feels like he's been orphaned or they've been, they've been pulled away from him uh, as a spiritual father. And he is asking God to bring us back together. So looking, again, this is the looking back part uh, of this letter. In fact, he said that Satan hindered us from visiting, from coming again. And we don't have told exactly why that is. Is it because of persecution? Is it because of weather and the travel routes or whatever the reason he couldn't get back to visit there? And he says Satan did this. But notice in this prayer, he recognizes that God is infinitely greater. So he's not worried about Satan hindering. He's saying God direct our way back because Satan ultimately is a pawn, ultimately in the greater will of God. So in our prayers, don't address Satan. Don't worry about Satan very much. Address the Father who's infinitely greater because he can overcome any obstacle or hindrance that Satan would put in the way. But notice that, and I think it's really providential in some ways that we are covering um, this passage in particular during this season. And this was not planned, I'll tell you that. Um, we're feeling this as well, this separation, this being orphaned in a sense from one another spiritually. We're feeling it, I think, with family and friends. You, you, you know, Thanksgiving may have been a difficult time for you because you couldn't spend time with your parents or your kids, your grandkids coming over, siblings or good friends, maybe even some other church friends that you would have over for Thanksgiving. And honestly, Christmas is looking very similar. I and mean, we're only a few weeks out from Christmas right now, and the likelihood is that we're not going to have large gatherings for Christmas either. Uh, we're not able to just hang out, spend time together. We haven't had a coffee hour in I don't know how long as a church, right? And it's the thing I always say. I call it a coffee hour, and it's only supposed to last 15 minutes. But I just have that terminology, coffee hour, in my mind. We haven't had a, a social gathering in our fellowship hall um, of any large degree for a long time. And we can't during this time. We're, we're limited. And here we are now, how, how, how fittingly, um, in terms of its application, during a snowstorm that hit us that enabled us now, that did not enable us now to meet again tomorrow. So we're separated, even as Paul and his team were from these Thessalonians. And, and this is damaging. It's difficult. And this is not just true of Christians. This is true of everyone. People in general, friends, need socialization. They, they need to be together. They need to have some of that interaction. In fact, we're, we're a little lost without it. We're social creatures. Uh, we're not snow leopards, okay? And even a snow leopard eventually does have to find another snow leopard in order to continue on the species, right? So, uh, but we're not snow leopards. We're not solitary creatures. We're, as human beings, we're, we're social creatures. We need one another, even if you're sitting there and you're the biggest introvert in the church. And uh, that may be, you know, somebody's got to be the biggest introvert in the church, right? Um, I don't know, maybe it's me. Or maybe it's one of you guys who are watching right now. But even the introvert would say, I still need some 
socialization. I'm not a, no one is a complete island. And friends, when we think about our, our church family, and there are some who have been joining us online only for quite a while, and thank God for online, like we're doing now. But as you know, that's, that's not everything. Uh, it's not, it's not, it's not, I mean, I've talked uh, talk to some folks who, they watch every week, and I love that, and many who watch every day. But there is something about being face-to-face. -face. That's what Paul is saying. I can write these letters, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, these are great letters. So glad he did. We wouldn't have it today. I wouldn't be talking about it today if he didn't have, if he didn't write the letters. But he's still saying, may God direct our way back to you face-to-face. -face. That's his request. There, there are some who aren't even online in our church. And I would just encourage you to get on the phone. You know, if you don't have one of these, this is our church directory, by the way, uh, get one. I think we have some more in the office. Um, or if you just need a phone number, you can ask me or Kina or someone to, to get you that specific phone number uh, and, and give a call to someone. And uh, I, I won't list the names now, but there are a number of folks in our church who don't have uh, don't have internet access. The world of the internet is like hieroglyphics to them. All right, they just don't have the, the they just don't have the energy or the whatever to get themselves online. And maybe we and we've talked about this as a staff. Maybe we can help people figure that out. How to get on Facebook Live and, and how to even create a Facebook account and go from there. Um, but there are people who are hurting. And even when we do gather, which we have been doing, we have to do it with a lot of limits. Y you can't see one another's face, right? I mean, the masks are important, but it, wouldn't it be nice to just see each other's face? What we, can we can't hug each other. Uh, you know, hugs matter. I was actually just reading about hugs. Uh, hugs are actually an important part of your health. So isn't it ironic that an important part of our health has now become a dangerous part for the spread of a disease for us? This is according to NBC News. Um, they had participants who were exposed to a common cold virus and were then monitored in quarantine. So this is a study of hugs to assess signs of illness. This is what the study found, that those who felt socially supported and were hugged more often also experience less severe signs of illness. Hugs actually help them get better, uh, according to this study. Uh, it's not just good then for our, our recovery, um, it's good for heart health. Same, uh, same article from NBC News, a study from the University of North Carolina, this is a quote, the women who said they got more hugs from their partners generally had higher oxyto uh, oxytocin levels at all phases of testing leaving the researchers to conclude that oxytocin may be a link between hugging and lower blood pressure. Heart health is actually directly related to having some physical interaction. And what has this virus done? It's kept us from hugging, handshaking, and being close to one another. There's a lot of other results of, of, of this virus, of loneliness and frustration, of depression, of sin. When you're alone and you're isolated, you're more open, you're more uh, to temptation. And churches are struggling through this. There are churches that are closing. There are churches that are losing members. Churches are frustrated and hurting with one another. Giving has gone down and almost across the board. This is one study of churches. Only 3% of churches currently have a worship attendance at or above pre-COVID levels. 3%. Everyone else is going down. Um, one of five churches have not reopened even. Uh, larger churches are reporting worship attendance at about 35% at 
of what they had pre-COVID levels. Smaller churches are about 50%. They've lost half their congregation. Uh, at this particular uh, research group called Church Answers, they're projecting 20% of people that were attending will never return to their church family. This is almost every church, according to this study, will be smaller in 2021. This virus has been, has taken its toll on people in general, on all of us, and on churches as a whole. So let's pray this together. Let's pray that God would direct us back to one another. That God would bring this pandemic to an end. How? I don't care. <laughs> That's up to God. That's his prerogative. If he wants to use a vaccine, if he wants to use these plasma treatments, if he wants to use a miracle that just all of a sudden we see the numbers starting to stop, then do it. Whatever God wills. We've seen every pandemic, by the way, in the past has eventually gone away. However long it's lasted, it's come and it's gone. Certainly, let's pray that churches are faithful to gather together now whether that's online or for those who are able in person. Um, and then, this is so crucial, uh, from what we just, the statistics we just read, that after the pandemic, are faithful to gather back together. That they don't say, you know what, I don't need the gathering anymore. It's that quite the opposite, that yes, now we realize how valuable our gathered worship really is. Yes, there'll be changes. There's no way we're going back to the way things were before as a culture and as a society. Things have changed and they've changed permanently. And how we deal with interactions and all that will probably change. And this online influence thing will hopefully be used continually for good. Uh, but may we still value that time. And like Paul and the Thessalonians, may there be a new sense of the importance of that gathering. You know, what was already happening in the American church in particular is that Church attendance was already slowly, you know, death of a thousand paper cuts, right? Slowly going down because it was no longer valued. Maybe, just maybe, God would use this separation as a way for us to value the, the importance of that weekly gathering together. Again, for those out there who can't gather because you have underlying conditions or you're, you're concerned with your age or you're around people who are, who are elderly, um, or it's definitely if you're feeling sick, that don't feel any guilt about not coming together right now. Okay, so we get it. This is a unique time. But let's pray that God direct our way back together. That's prayer. That's Paul's request here for him and the missionary team with the Thessalonians. And let that be our prayer for the church, our church and other churches to come back together. Not only that, friends, what about verse 12? May God be at work increasing our love. That's the next point. May God be at work increasing our love. He prays for love. Uh, may the Lord, so he's still praying, um, and he asks specifically that he would increase and abound. Those words basically mean the same thing. So may it really overflow. May it really abundantly go forth uh, that we would increase and abound in agape, which is one of the Greek words for love. May we increase in love. For whom? He tells us here. First, for one another. First, we, 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 we seek as Christians to love one another. In many ways, uh, the church is meant to be a sort of school of love. <laughs> it, it's where you learn how to love like Christ loved us. It's where you learn agape. And then, 
beyond that. It goes beyond just your church. It goes out into the world, the whole Christian world, uh, the whole of Christendom, as they call it, to, to all Christians around the world, but not just ending there, as he says, not just for one another, and for all. All is a big word. It means everybody. Uh, may our love be for all. Uh, the love for the um, greater Thessalonica 2,000 years ago. As bad as it was, by the way. Thessalonica, as we've learned, was not a good place. It was a place that was in opposition to the gospel pretty strongly. But more than that, for the whole world. Learn to love people, even if you've never met them, as strange as that may sound. Jesus said, if you love only those who love you, what reward will you get for that? Everyone does that. Even the pagans, Jesus says, do that. You can love those who love you. It's loving your enemies. It's loving your neighbor. It's loving those whom you don't really even know. That's where Christian love really comes in. And he ends with saying, as we do for you. So Paul has no doubt in his love for the Thessalonian Christians. He loves them, and the team loves them, the whole ministry team here, uh, mission team. And he's just saying, may you have that same love that's overflowing, that I feel, and I have, not just feel, but I have for you, may you have that same love. Friends, Christians are to be known by our love. We're to be known by our love. We're not to, know, not to be known first and foremost, understand, first and foremost, by other good things. And there are other good things, but first and foremost, by love. So, should we be known for our doctrine? Well, yes, but not first and foremost. I mean, you don't want people to think, you know those First Baptist people, you know what I think about when I think about them? Doctrine. Like, that's not, shouldn't be the first thing that comes to people's minds. Uh, you don't want us to be known first and foremost for our music. That's not the goal either. That's a church that has amazing music. Well, that's good, but that's not the first thing you want the people to come to people's mind. For our facility. Oh, that's the church on Main Street with the big, beautiful building. That's not what we want ultimately either, uh, because we're so cool. You know, oh, that church is really cool. That's not our first, and there are churches that are very cool. Um, uh, I'm not the coolest pastor, and I'm, I'm okay with that. I've, I've embraced my lack of coolness a long time ago. Um, so, But that's not what we want to be known for first and foremost. We want to be known for love. For love. Love for God. Which is assumed, by the way, by the fact that this is a prayer. He's talking to God. Love for each other. Because how can we love others if we can't love each other? And then love for all. Nobody escapes the love of God's people. Nobody. Uh, I mentioned agape is the word that's used here. And um, uh, C.S. Lewis wrote a, a famous book. If you get a chance to read it, it's a beautiful book. It's called The Four Loves. And he talks about how in the, uh, in the uh, Greek, there are four words used for love. So we have one English word they use for. Now, there's been some criticism of the fact that's not quite how language works. Context is key, but it's still a good point. And, and one word for love um, means uh, eros, which means romance. And we use that word for love all the time. Oh, I'm in love, right? Another word is storge, and that's the one we use for family. A mother loves his, her, her son and loves her daughter. Um, that's definitely a form of love. A third word is phile, a philos, uh, Philadelphia, think like that, uh, that terminology, which means friendship love. And then there's this fourth 
kind of harder to pin down word for love, agape, which is the word that the Bible and the New Testament uses all over the place. And particularly when they are trying to um, uh, describe what Christians should do towards the world, to, towards again, towards God, towards one another, towards the whole world. Agape sometimes is translated as charity, which you think of at Christmas, right? Um, that, that's, that's our goal, is true charity. Not just the giving part, but the agape love. Maybe, maybe a better word for it is, is the covenant faithfulness. That committed, self-sacrificial love. If you want to look at a great uh, definition of agape, look at 1 Corinthians 13. That whole chapter uses agape as love and describes what it is. That's love. Tim Keller, a well-known pastor out in New York City, writes, Why should we care about the poor and do justice? Christians' motivation for the alleviation of poverty, inequality, and suffering is agape. The extension of the radical love we have received from God and offered to others. That's what we want to be known for. Friends, I, just, I would hope, I would pray that that's the love that's shown uh, at First Baptist in our church. Love for God. Agape for God. Uh, what does that look like? We pray. We worship. We read the scriptures. We attend services to bring him praise. And we're just excited <laughs> about God. God matters. God is good. God is who we want to know more about. And hopefully, friends, folks see that. Outsiders see that. You guys love God here. It's not a show. It's not a ceremony. It's real. You guys really love God. And then that that love would be transformed to our love for one another. We would reach out to each other. Make those phone calls I was talking about. Bring over that meal uh, to someone who needs it. And we're getting to have more and more folks who may need a meal uh, because you can't go out during um, quarantine and things like that. Uh, you're willing to, to serve in some capacity. That's what it looks like. Motive, the motivation of agape is shown, shows itself. And then, as we said, love for all. Love for all. That First of all, you do outreach. You're not comfortable saying, well, these are, these are my Christian sisters and brothers and I'm, I don't need any more. No, no. We, love looks beyond the walls and says, who, can, who needs uh, um, to know the Lord? How do we reach out for them? Um, again, maybe that warm meal that you bring over isn't for a Christian sister or brother. Maybe it is to a non-believer that demonstrates the love of God. Again, sharing the gospel with someone is the, one of the greatest acts of love. You're willing to be uncomfortable and have a difficult conversation with someone because you care truly and really about them, their eternal destiny, and their honestly their life in this world to know the true and the living God. That's what love looks like, praying with people. Uh, friends, you know, this is a time I think, I don't know many people who would say, no, I don't want you to pray with me, right? Or pray for me, at least. If you say, can I pray for you? Um, I, very few people are going to say, nah, I'm all set. Don't pray for me, right? This is the year. And I would just say 2020, friends, is the year that love, that agape needs to stand out. It needs to stand out this year from us as Christians. It's an old sort of uh, cliche saying, but let's just say it. If not now, when? Right? If we don't, if we can't have a show agape now, when are we ever going to do it? If this year isn't in our chance as Christians to show that we really love people, not because we're trying to get something from them, but because the love of Christ is in us, 
I don't know when we're going to do it. Just pack it up. Pack it up as a church. If we, if we can't take this year and use it. Verse 13. May God be at work establishing us in holiness. May God be at work establishing us in holiness. This last part is actually part of the previous prayer. It's not a separate prayer. May we increase and abound in love and be established in holiness. So the love is part of how we get established in holiness here. But we want holiness right till the end, he says. Right to the final and last day. Uh, what does holy mean? Holy means to be set apart. Uh, to be not like the world, to be set apart, but also set apart for a specific purpose. So even items in the temple could be considered holy. You could have holy utensils. You say, what does that mean, a holy utensil? It means it's an item that was set apart to be used only in the temple. That's what it means. So what does it mean for a human being to be holy? It means they are set apart to be used by God. They belong to him. That's what it means to be holy. Um, notice it's holy before our God, before our God and Father. It's not holy before other human beings. It's not showing off so people think you're a holy person, which probably means they think you're a holier-than-thou person, right? Like somebody who's a little arrogant. That's not the point. Um, it's not just to look holy. It's to really grow in holiness, to really truly become more and more set apart for the work of God belonging to him. And he says, when, uh, so at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the final hope is that Jesus will return in his time. And so much of the rest of this letter is going to be about that love, that holiness, and that return of Jesus. And I like what he says, when Jesus comes back with all the saints, uh, literally with all the holy ones, that's the word saints. I know in English it's a different word, but saint, think sanctify, same root, uh, with all the holy ones. Who are these? Some people think they're angels. Some, I think, correctly think this is referring to Christians. Maybe it's some combination of the both. Um, but notice that the saints come with them. Why? Because when you die in Christ, your spirit is now with the Lord. And when he comes, he takes us with him. So if you die and pass on from this world, you're with the Lord Jesus. And when he comes back, you're coming with him. Uh, that's the idea here. This is the Christian hope. Uh, I love this. I love that this is the Christian hope. And one of the reasons, out of one of many, that I, I love the fact that this is the Christian hope is because it sounds crazy to the world, right? I mean, it, it's, at least it's not boring, right? So what, what do you guys believe is going to happen? Uh, I believe that the white rider is coming back and he's going to rescue all of his people, bring the world to judgment, and transform everything with the new heavens and a new earth. You're crazy. Yep, a little crazy, I guess. Uh, nothing wrong with that. Uh, yes, it's, it's not a boring ending to this world. God's got something big and mighty and pretty awesome planned. Uh, he's already come once. That's what we're celebrating right now during the Advent season. What is the second Advent going to look like? We know what the first looked like. It was pretty miraculous and pretty amazing with shepherds and magi and all that we're going to be looking at in the next couple of weeks. What's the second one going to look like? We're going to look at that one after the start of the new year, Lord willing. Uh, nobody knows the day or the hour of this return, so we're going to continue to grow in holiness until that day actually comes. Uh, don't guess, by the way. Not a wise idea to guess. We're going to look at that in the rest of the letter as well. Um, a lot of people are asking the question, is it getting close? Is this day getting close? Well, let me just say a couple of things. We never should guess the day or the hour. But we can, as the Bible says, read the signs of the times. 
Okay? Now, what does that mean? It means a couple things. First of all, the Great Commission. The Great Commission is bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. And when it reaches the ends of the earth, then the work is done, Christ returns. Now, I don't know how detailed that reaching the ends of the earth has to be, but it has to reach the ends of the earth before Christ returns. And the mission has not been accomplished yet, but it's well underway. If you really want to be encouraged, study the modern mission movement and learn about what's happened in the last 100 years. You will be encouraged. There are parts of this globe, huge parts of this globe, that have been reached that in 2,000 years have never been touched. And it is spreading fast. So keep that in mind. Reading the signs of the times. And if I could just throw one other little item in there. Uh, in Romans it talks about when, the, the, when Israel begins to receive their Messiah. That's also a sign. What will their acceptance of the gospel be but the resurrection from the dead? And by the way, we as a church have been supporting Jewish mission and ministry for a long time. And there's some exciting things happening in that front. A long way to go, but some exciting things. So read the signs of the times, but never guess. Just trust that the Lord is coming in his time. And if we die between now and then, you will be with the Lord Jesus in heaven. And you will come back with him as part of that group of saints when he returns. Let this be our prayer too. Not only are we praying uh, that our love would abound, not only are we praying that God would direct our way back together, but let us also pray that he establishes our hearts blameless and holy. That we grow in grace. That we become more like Jesus. That we persevere right to the end of our lives or until Christ returns. That we would leave behind our pet sins, and we all got them. We would love the word more. And this is our prayer, that God would give us a heart to love his word more. That, that praying and worship would have more of an appeal. You wouldn't think, oh, that's, what, that's the boring stuff that Christians do. No, you would say, you know what? <laughs> Rather than going out and getting drunk or getting high or looking at porn or whatever else, I just want to spend some time alone with the Lord. That's more appealing now to me than the things that were at one point more appealing. That the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. What a powerful song, right? That we would begin to say, what I used to love and obsess over just doesn't have, it's just grown dim in comparison to the things of God. That, that friends, that we would look forward to his return. Every day draws us one day closer. I don't know when his return is, but I do know that every day that goes by draws us one day closer. So we could say that for sure. That I would doubt less that he is indeed coming back. And that I would look forward to it. I believe it. I know he's coming. It's not a pipe dream. It's the real deal. It's going to be glorious. And I'm awaiting that return. And let that hope shape how you live now. That we would live wisely. That we would increase in love. That we would witness. We would recognize that every day that God gives us is another day to spread the, the love of Christ. To, to show forth the gospel. Um, and how we live and how we speak. And tell people about it. And to pray in preparation for it. 
May God be at work. Just like the big men at work signs. May there be, even if it's not literally there, a spiritual God at work sign in our church family. It's what I want for our church. I don't, I don't need our church to be 2,000 members. I don't need our church to have 5,000 Facebook followers. In fact, 2020 has done some weird things when it comes to big churches. Uh, and, you know, again, love them and nothing wrong with a big church. Understand. Uh, but with all, with large gatherings are completely out of the picture all over the country right now, right? I want our church not to just be people doing people things. You know, just a church filled with lots of great programs and organization, or you know, or, you know, organization businesses, just like any other, any other entity out there in the community. We want to see a church in which God is at work, bringing us back together, increasing and abounding our love, establishing our hearts. God at work. Would you pray with me? Gracious Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word. I am again and again amazed at how your word speaks to our situation beyond my planning. <laughs> I plan. I plan because Thessalonians is about hope and all that, but all the details and how they work themselves out, you have a way of speaking to us today. Help us, Father, to absolutely that you would direct our way back together all in your time lord we, we you're not in a rush we don't need to be in a rush but we do pray for it and there are many who are hurting lord that you would help us to abound in love more and more and that you would preserve us in holiness persevering until the day of christ's return bless our church family Bless any visitors who may have been listening in today. So thankful that they would actually take the time and hear what we're doing as a church. And if they've got some deep questions they're seeking, they're not sure, help them to be answered. Speak to them, Lord, by your Holy Spirit. Draw them into a relationship with yourself. Keep us faithful, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.